0: You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading
1: middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi.
0: And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1078. When it comes to their work, most employees today want more than simply a means of ensuring their basic needs are met. They have other needs to satisfy, the need to have meaning and purpose, to tap into their potential and define self-actualization. His latest book, *Meaning at Work and Its Hidden Language, author Danny Gutnick shares strategies that can help organizations inspire employees to feel truly invested in what they're doing. Danny, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Thanks for having me on the show, Richard. Uh, I'm excited. I uh, love the content of your book, and that's why I was excited to have you on the show to share a little bit with the uh, middle market business owners and CEOs that listen to our show. Let's start off by, could you tell me why you believe employees should be more invested on a business,
2: and personal level at their work? You, you bet. Well, first, it's good for everybody. Uh, we're learning a lot that, you know, when we're engaged in meaningful work, it satisfies a human need. Research shows that it's good not only for your mental physis- fitness, but, like, your biology, too. You know, think about it this way. It, 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 if you and I continue to engage in epinephrine and dopamine fires, that lowers stress hormones, softens our, you know, heart tissues and things like that, which, which makes us, makes, you know, helps creativity come, come up. The second, I think more important reason is that if you're not invested in your personal work, or if you're, if you're not invested in your work, you're really robbing yourself. You're participating in a little bit of a deceit. You know, we see a lot of people that have poor attitudes towards companies and, you know and the bad boss or the machine like environment or all these excuses as to why you can't step up and great, be great and you know do things that that really connect to you but and and but, you know, if you think about it there's nothing worse than working alongside somebody who's not plugged in who doesn't care about anything beyond a paycheck and so
0: yeah i i, I think i find uh, you tell me they have a, a an impact on the people around them and it's usually not a positive impact they kind of they share that feeling into the culture of the organization many times
2: yeah it's, it's 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 not good so on one hand it's it's really good to to do it for yourself um and on the other hand it's you know it's it's no good for anybody if you don't
0: so earlier today on the live stream here on octalkradio.net we had a guest her name is dr dina brown and she's the millennial whisperer and we were talking about millennial engagement in the workforce and i'm wondering as you did the research for your book, Meaning at Work and Its Hidden Language, did you find the need to be connected to the purpose of the business magnified in the younger, and the millennial workforce, or was it common throughout all age ranges?
2: You know, it was common throughout all age ranges. Actually, the Generation Z, who's coming up after the millennials, yes. are going to understand this problem even better than prior generations. But one of the things that is interesting about the millennials is that they're, they're demanding meaning at work, but you really can't, companies can't provide meaning. Um, you have to find it for yourself, which opens up a whole other can of worms. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, what was your inspiration for writing this book, Danny?
2: You know, uh, when I was 14 years old, uh, I had this album called Ghosts in the Machine mm-hmm. and by the police. Yeah, right. And I wondered what the heck was a the machine, so I got on my little bicycle and rode down to the library and flipped through the Dewey Decimal System and started to become intrigued with why were all of these philosophers and deep thinkers talking about how hard it is for the human being to really find themselves or to be the truest version of themselves. And so this was a closet hobby of mine, and I didn't think that it had anything to do with my other passion, which was entrepreneurship. And what was fascinating that as I became an entrepreneur and, um, you know, ran my first company and actually worked for two other companies before starting my own company again, I constantly used some of the models and tools that I learned about and I tried them on the ground and I, I had employees that were super motivated, super connected. We had great engagement, extremely high productivity and really good profits and when I eventually fell into the recruiting world and started my own company, we started using these models to actually help companies recruit and engage employees, and they have amazing results. And so I, I get people that called me back a lot, um, that worked for me in the past, I, ex-employees talking about how the stuff that they learned they would apply to a new business they started or something they were doing, or even they would just say, hey, I've never been so engaged. As I was when I was working in your organization, what did you do? Can you write a book about some of the stuff that we worked on? So I eventually, I eventually, got a little bit of a motive to do that, and I I would, you know, I wrote the book.
0: Well, that's interesting because you know you talk about employee engagement, and I the recent Gallup poll found that two thirds of employees in U.S. companies of all sizes, ladies and gentlemen, are disengaged from their work, and and I was wondering if you might be able to share. From your experience and what you wrote about in the book, what essential questions do you believe business owners need to address with their employees to kind of address this overall dissatisfaction, or let's turn it in a positive way, overall satisfaction with
2: their work? Mm -hmm. Well, there's really two things that, that I think are really of critical importance. The first one is you have to start asking yourself who the company is beyond your mission, vision, beyond the basic monetary change on its on, on a journey on its own. So, what's it doing in the world? Um, what's its raison d'etre or reasons for being? You know. And so, it, 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 when you start to actually ask those questions and interpret the relationships that people have to the company and how do they interpret the company, you start to uncover a language of motives. Motives, like so, you, you find out what the motives are of people that are interacting with it. And just by exposing that structure, you start to get a lot of a lot of interesting things happen. People become engaged. People become more interested. They see that they can actually make a difference culturally, and that turns into a snowball effect where you get a lot of people connected in the organization, and then you end up with those scenarios where people that aren't connected get out quickly, and you find more people that are, that are connected.
0: So is it your experience that, and we're talking to owners of middle market companies across North America that by applying the principles inside your book and working at it, they can turn the culture around and sort of defy the odds here of two th- thirds of the employees who are disengaged at work. They can create a work environment that's different than that.
2: Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that happened after I wrote the book, I started working with a big middle market company, and we were just trying to take the next step. And one of the issues that that the founder felt like, is man, I feel like I'm always pumping up tires. <laughs> I go, you know, I go from one tire and by the time I get back <laughs> around to the other tire, it's empty again. <laughs> right. Right. Makes sense. And I told him, I said, the problem is, is that you're carrying the meaning of the organization and you're trying to dictate that to everybody else. And you're going to continue to stagnate. You can't carry that. We have to create, we have to let the company have its own meaning, separate of you. And we have to help your employees understand that they need to be stewarding that. And once that started to happen, you know, g- growth started to happen again.
0: That's awesome. We're going to we're gonna take a break here, Danny, if you don't mind. And it's a very short break. Loyal listeners of Critical Mass, you know, it's just going to be a very short 30-second kind of stop. Uh, when we come back, one of the things that I'd like to do in the next block, in the 10 minutes or so that we're going to have after the break, is really kind of have you highlight the five principles for inst- inspiring meaning in the workplace. Can you do that, Danny? You bet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to go anywhere because we're going to come back and give you the five keys here after this word from me.
1: and learn more about our executive peer group.
0: And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi. A great way to stay informed about our guests is to sign up for our weekly newsletter. How do you do that, you ask? Simple. Go to criticalmassforbusiness.com. At the bottom of any page on our website is a join our mailing list box. Simply enter your email address hit subscribe, and like magic, you'll start receiving our weekly newsletters with great information about our upcoming guests. We don't do anything else with your, newslet- with your email, but subscribe you to our newsletter. All right, let's get back to the conversation. Danny, before the break, I said I want to talk about your five principles, but before we get there, I wonder, as a successful published author, could you give advice to our audience about what it was like to write a book?
2: Oh man, you know, when I initially set out to write the book, which was a little over five years ago now, th- there were a lot of. Uh, I, I researched it. I said, "Okay, what what do I do to write a good book?" And once I got that model down, I ended up rewriting the book about four times. <laughs> and I just, for me, it, it was it was I had to find a way to find my voice. Right. I had to do that until I was pleased with the result. And, and I'm an entrepreneur at heart, so I had to figure out what the rules were so that I could break them. <laughs> and so basically the best advice that I can give you is that, you know, it, just do you. You know, if you're, if you're new to something, take your time, figure it out, don't skip steps, um, which is extremely tempting. I could have I gone with publishing instead of self-publishing, but I really wanted to build a grassroots, interest that worked for people that people could actually get the book and it worked for them instead of something watered down that sat on shelves that people did nothing with and so i, I just followed the path that was right for me and learned step by step how to do it
0: and i, I can see from the credits and the and the, the copyright information you, you also had a team that helped you to kind of put this together from an editor to a book artist and a illustrator and others who helped you with the book that's what i find in writing my books is too i you almost need a yeah. community around the author to really get the book out in the way that you can be the most proud of
2: yeah that's, that's very true. i had several people that i balanced almost every every paragraph and every chapter <laughs> off of. those patient souls huh
0: <laughs> all right well we only have about six minutes left here on critical mass radio show and podcast and now we need to get to the meat of the interview sir can you, in the time allotted, help our audience of business owners to think about and understand the five principles for inspiring meaning in the workplace?
2: You bet. I think, I think right before doing that, it's important to understand that, that what meaning is, and meaning is the way that uh, a being goes about parsing its existence. And so, in other words, a lot of times we tie up too much emotional content around what meaning is, and it's, and it's just the way that we show up in the world and the way that we're interpreting it. And so five ways to tackle that is first become meaning competent or literate, which is kind of what we were doing with the computer revolution in the 80s, right? We're making sure that it works differently than, say, uh, capitalism or, you know, business models and and politics and things like that. So you have to learn some competency around it. And then the second thing is there's, there's meaning models. I actually give meaning models in the book, and they're tools. And they're just like any other domain, like politics. We have legalese, in science we have scientific method to determine whether or not something's true. Learn how to use the meaning models in this meaning domain, and then for and then essence mind, essence mind yourself or your organization, which basically means examine what meaning models you're showing up with in everyday life, and and so you uncover those through uh, just essence mining, which is a little framework that that I present in the book, and then. Fourth is analyze your meaning models. Like, like go through the content. Are they working for you or not? Is this something that 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 is true, or is it just something that you for you, or is it something you adopted from somebody else? And then last is just synthesize and evolve your meaning. I mean, take 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 meaning and wield it. See what it can do for you.
0: When you did your research for the book, meaning at work. Did you look at and talk with nonprofit leaders as well? Because I, I find part of what you write about in the book for for-profit companies, you know, finding a meaning that is bigger than the company, help individuals connect to that meaning on a personal level, that that, that seems to be very true or almost absolutely required in the nonprofit space.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, interestingly enough, nonprofits also have this challenge. They have a challenge where they feel like their people are disconnected too. And a lot of that is because of, I think, the fallacy that we think we do need to be connected to actually something bigger than ourselves. We, we don't. There's something that I didn't actually write about in the book that I came up with later that I call The Divine Paradox. And it's, it's, it's a strange thing, but as I've been researching people that really are connected to what they do, it's, it's if you find a joy that you will struggle for and just do that, you somehow end up serving everything else—the business that you're in, uh, the, the community that you're in. You just you become a good steward of those things. But when we when we fail to satisfy that personal meaning that we have, the personal reason that we're, we're going about doing these things, we end up creating a lot of excuses and a lot of things that derail us. And and it's true for companies, nonprofits, people, all the way around. It does it. Is it also
0: required, and I would think the answer is yes, that the owner, the top executive is also on this road of kind of figuring that out for themselves as well? I don't know how you could create an organization yeah. where the people have it and you don't.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it would be incredibly hard if, you know, your leader wasn't on this road of wanting to get better. If they're just based in a commodity, you know, type of mindset and even people are commodities, which you run into a lot of, they're gonna struggle. Um, you're, you're always gonna compete on just price or value instead of competing on unique, which is what Michael Porter, the you know kind of seminal business thinker says, what gets most companies over the hump is being unique. And there's only one way to be unique, which is create your own structure of meaning.
0: Why, why in your experience, is this idea of organizational meaning dynamic and kind of not sort of static. You set it and forget it. Because it, it sounds like from reading your book, that if you, and you've used the term, if you're on this journey, you're on a path and you have to keep moving.
2: You, you do. Um, it's, it's because people, uh, markets, companies, cities, they all are constantly evolving. They're all going somewhere. Um, And even if you look at the history of human civilizations and teams, if something becomes static, if you don't treat it like it's a living thing, it ends up atrophying um, and and ceasing to exist a lot of times. And so the the other thing that you're seeing nowadays is we are undergoing a fundamental shift in this meaning domain nationwide and, and throughout most highly developed countries. And a lot of that's because we've mastered the tools of science, the tools of capitalism, the tools of politics, or, you know, rights. Um, And we've turned all of those domains of existence, those other three domains, into a process. Well, meaning is the only thing that we're coming out of nowadays as a species. We're actually experiencing, hey, means three cats and a dog, a house, you know, it can mean anything that I want it to be, right. and I have this internal drive to express my unique self in in the world today. Then I've got to go figure out what that is, and that's that's what we're seeing. And the problem is, is that we're using tools like debate, which belongs in politics, to actually deal with somebody's values. And sorry, but your values are what's true for you.
0: So, Danny, I've got two questions, and in two minutes, I need you to kind of help me to unpack this. I, I would think that some of the members of my listening audience might be thinking, how do you balance this need for personal meaningfulness and fulfillment of the individual's potential against creating an overly entitled and or selfish workforce? Have you been asked that question? And if so, how do you address it?
2: Yes, it's 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 a common question. And a lot of that policy of thinking about your own personal meaning system is that you're not in this for the good of anything else. The the deeper that you go personally and examine who you are as a human being, you become more empathetic to everybody else's system of meaning. It's actually, it's actually this, you know, in any way that you slice it, people can say, well, I did this for this reason or that reason. But ultimately, if you get honest with yourself, you'll start to find out that you did that for yourself. And the, 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 The real remarkable thing about human beings is that when you do something that's good for yourself, but you find a way to collaborate with others, you get back a value that is exponentially bigger than that thing you could have done all alone. That was the key finding that Adam Smith had with capitalism. It's like, you know, when you pursue your own selfishness, but yet find a way to share or, or collaborate with others in that selfishness, that's what you get. You get this big aha moment of going, oh, wow, This I get more value than I could have just by being selfish. Well, there
0: you go. We had an Adam Smith reference on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. <laughs> I love it. So, Danny Gutnick, if someone would like to buy Meaning at Work and its hidden language, how do they buy your
2: book? Well, you can look for it on Amazon.com or iBooks. It's, it's out on both. Um, my website is EssenceMining.com or DannyGutnick.com. They both go to the same place. And my book is listed in both of those places. My social has hashtag is EssenceMining.
0: Can you spell that?
2: Uh, yes, S-E-S-S-E-N-C-E-M-I-N-I-N-G.
0: And if they want to go to DannyGutnick.com, how do they spell your last name, sir?
2: Uh, G u t k n e. Well,
0: I want to thank you for being a friend of the program. Welcome you to Critical Mass Community. Next time you uh, write your next book, uh, think about us and come back and share more about the research that you're
2: doing. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It was great. Thanks for the time. Have a good day. You
0: too. All right. I'd like to thank our engineer for today, none other than Paul Roberts, who also happens to be the station owner. Our producers, who we could not do this show without, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. If you would like to connect with me on social media, I would love that. Let's start with LinkedIn. I'm Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. You can visit my website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. And if you're running around on Twitter, my handle is CEOPeerGroups. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show. Focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.